Hi friend, I'm Rick Pasquale. I know God has a word for you today. As you listen, let God speak to you. He loves you and he has a great plan for your life. Now join us live for our service.
if, if you're here and you don't understand why the excitement for having your own building, here's the reason why. Because what it allows is it allows for the ministry of this church to, ex- to exponentially expand. And, and can I tell you, that's vital because the international, uh, the international representation of this church, what's happening is this. So what's happening is there are so many of you, God's bringing you here for a season. What he's doing, for some of you, you're coming to know Jesus for the first time. For some of you, your understanding of faith is being enriched. Your knowledge of the Bible is being expanded. And your willingness to trust God is being, it's, it's, it's bring, being stretched to where when God ultimately sends you to the area of the mission field that he's called you to, that you can be salt and light, that you can be kingdom impact. And listen, just as God has sent you to Rome for this season, God is sending so many others. And so this church has to have a significant impact because it's not just about you. It's not just about your family. It's about the souls that God has already, on the scroll of his will, that he's already written for you to reach. And that's the reason why the ministry of this church, that it is so significant. It's the reason why we have to see this ministry expanded. It's the reason why a building is important. to be here this evening to talk to you. Because here's my concern. My concern is this. My concern is that far too often what happens is we live short of God's best for us. And we miss out on the plan and the blessing that God has for us. In fact, there's a story in, in 1858 in the Rocky Mountain area of, Col- of Colorado in the, in the United States. They, they struck gold. And the United States of America has two major gold rushes. They had, a, they had a gold rush in California, and then a little while later, they had a gold rush in Colorado. There's a gentleman by the name of William Darby. He lived in Maryland, and he missed out on the California gold rush. He was convinced that he was not, and determined that he was not going to miss out on the Colorado gold rush. And so what he, do, what he did is he, he packed up all that he could. He went to Colorado, and he started to dig started to dig. Rudimentary tools, shovel pick, started to dig, and wouldn't you know it, he struck gold. He got so excited about it because he struck gold, and not just a little bit of gold, he struck a lot of gold. And with, with, with the first little bit of gold that he got, what he did is this. He went and bought a much larger piece, a much larger track, a much larger claim, because he recognized there was gold in those hills. And then what he did is once he, once he had secured the, that land and said, this is my spot, this is where I'm going to dig for gold, he went back to Maryland, he talked to his family, he talked to his friends, he convinced everybody that he could to give him the money to where he could buy much bigger equipment to where he could go back and get the gold out of this mountain. One of the people that he convinced to go with him was his nephew named Rill, or a guy who's known by the name of R.U. Darby. And I'm going to tell you the story of R.U. Darby. R.U. Darby went with his uncle back to Colorado. Now, shortly after they got to Colorado, his uncle unfortunately passed away. R.U. Darby took over the claim, and he began to dig, and he, and he dug. And, 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 and it, quite honestly, initially, they, they took what they had pulled out of the mountain. They had it tested, and sure enough, there was gold. And he was pretty excited about it. He felt like his, 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 his uncle's life would be honored and his legacy would be maintained. But it wasn't long after that that it seemed as if they hit a wall. A wall. Can I tell you something? I know about walls. 
Anybody who runs knows about walls. In fact, I can tell you this. Every runner that ran that marathon today, at one point or another, they hit a wall. Now, for me, when I run, here's where I hit a wall. The first wall that I hit is about 500 meters in. 500 meters in, I'm convinced there's something wrong with my knee. I need to stop or I'm going to do serious damage. But you know what I do? I keep running. The, the second wall that I hit is at about, it's at about three kilometers. At about three kilometers, all of a sudden now, my, my left knee, really, there's something wrong with my left knee. I know there's something wrong with my left knee, and, and, and I'm probably ripping cartilage. Anyway, the, I had these voices that talked to me. Anybody else experience this in life, right, as you're trying to navigate life, and you have these voices that talk to you? Okay, the, the next wall that I hit is at about 11 kilometers. Something wrong with my back. Like, seriously, I think I've pulled a muscle. I think I've, I think I've hurt something. And then... And then the next wall that I hit, I don't know, I, I don't know what it is in kilometers, I know because I know miles. I can figure out the early ones kilometers. But at 21 miles, at 21 miles, I hit another wall. And whenever I hit the wall, here's what I have to do. I can't stop. I, I, I have to just keep running. That's what you do when you hit the wall. You just keep running. Well, are you Darby? He hit, hit this wall, and they kept digging, and they kept spending money. They kept digging. They kept spending money. They kept digging, they kept spending money, and at some point, fear set in. Fear set in. And man, fear can be crippling. Fear can be debilitating. This fear set in. Am I going to spend my entire family's investment? Or am I going to waste all of my friends' money? I understand that this was my uncle's dream, but it wasn't my dream, and, 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 and this dream is quickly becoming a nightmare. We are, we are going through cash so quickly. And finally, he decided, you know what, I've got to do something before everything is lost. In desperation, here's what he did. He reached out to a junk man, a, a salvage operator. And he sold him all of the equipment that he had bought, basically for the cost, the value of the weight of the metal. And are you Darby in defeat, frustration, anxiety, and fear? He left Colorado and he went back to Maryland. Well... This junk dealer was not, uh, he was not a miner. But now he had all this stuff that was mining equipment. And here's what he decided. What's the harm in seeing what happens? And he started to dig. He dug three feet. Three feet. Okay? Less than one meter. And he struck the biggest vein of gold in U.S. history. R.U. Darby stopped three feet short. Can I tell you, I am regularly talking to people who live their life three feet short. I'm regularly dealing with Christ followers who live their life three feet short. And I'm convinced that God brought you here tonight to challenge you, don't stop three feet short. Don't stop three feet short. Don't live your life three feet short. And listen, it's so easy to do that when you don't understand God's promises. And instead, what happens is you're gripped by fear. And fear can come, can't it? Fear can come. Fear can come when God doesn't show up when you think he should show up. When God doesn't do what you think he should do. 
Because we've heard it. If, we, if we've been around church at all, we've heard this. We've heard that God is an on-time God. But what happens if he's not on time? What happens if he doesn't show up when you, when, when you think he should? What happens when he doesn't show up when it makes sense? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Luke, the seventh chapter. In Luke, the seventh chapter, we're going to talk about a place where amazing happened. A place where amazing happened. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live, even though he dies. Set the scene for you. It is sunset on the outskirts of a little Galilean village. It's a village called Nain. It's it's about four hours if you're walking from the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says, has just healed the centurion's servant. And there is a buzz. And he and his disciples and now a large crowd because Jesus is doing miracles are following him. And there's, there's just an energy in the air. There's, there's excitement. There's anticipation of what's going to happen. And they're on their way. They're, 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 they're getting ready to enter this little village called Nain. And this joyous crowd meets a crowd that is absolutely polar opposite. It's a funeral procession. Practically the entire population of this little town is participating in this funeral procession. And here's the reason why. Because their heart is broken for the woman that's at the front of the funeral procession. The person being carried on their shoulders in that casket is her only son. And she's grieving the loss of her son. And unfortunately, this is a road that she's walked down before because it wasn't wasn't that very long ago that her son walked beside her as they trod this same path to bury her husband. And so this widow, she walks alone. Even though the whole town is there to support her in her grief, in her anxiety, in her fear and frustration, she walks alone. Is it it possible? Is it possible that she that she knows God's promises? Is it, is, it, is it possible that she has an understanding that God's word says in Jeremiah 49, 11, leave your fatherless children to me, I will keep them alive. God, you gave this promise. Leave your fatherless children to me, I will keep them alive. God, as I walk this path to bury my only son, how then can I lean in to the next portion of that promise that says this, your widows too can depend on me. God, I depended on you. 
I depended on you when my, when my husband was sick. I cried out to you because I was told that you're a God who saves, delivers, and heals. And I watched as my husband's life ebbed away. But I held on to faith, God. I held on to faith. And then I watched sickness overtake my son. And God, I, I stand on your promise. Give your fatherless children to me. I will keep them alive. God, that's what it says in your word. Does your word lie? Can I, can I offer you this? We see this all the time. We see this all the time, right? Where we're facing a challenge in our life. We're facing a circumstance in our day. We're facing a, a difficulty, and here's what we do. We, 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 maybe we know a scripture verse and we claim that scripture verse or, or a friend of ours that's a person of faith, they'll talk to us about a promise in the word. And here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll grab hold of that promise. God, your word says that by your stripes I'm, I'm made whole. I first, I first became aware of the idea of Jesus when I was a little boy. When I was seven years old, my family moved from Illinois to Florida. My father was starting a new business. He sold everything that he had in Illinois, and he's launching this new business. My father moved to Florida in November of 1972. We moved there in March of 1973. Shortly after we moved there, my older brother, I'm the 12th of 13 children, um, when, I was, when, I was, when I was a little kid, there were still eight, eight, eight of us living at home. And uh, one of my older brothers happened to uh, get uh, uh, attracted to, fell in love with uh, a girl at, at his school who happened to be a Baptist pastor's daughter. And he decided that he wanted to date her. And she explained to him, my father said that I cannot date any boys who don't go to my church. And so my brother said that I will go to your church. But my brother is a big wimp, and he was unwilling to go alone, right? So he drugged me to church. So as a seven-year-old, I'm really introduced to church for the first time, going to church, and there really is something about it that, got, quite honestly, there's something about it that I like. I like, I like the music. I like, the, I like, the, I like the, 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 the speeches that they give. I like the way that the pastor talks and that melodic talk, Right? And I can always tell when he's getting close to the end, right? Because when he's getting close to the end, his voice starts to change. Sounds something like this. Dear friend, 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 friend. As we're gathered here tonight, night, night, night. If you've, if you've been in church at all, you've experienced that. Especially if you've been in Baptist church, you've experienced it. And he talked about the promises of God. Talked about the plan of God. Talked about the wonder of God. And I heard about the stories of God. I heard about a, a man on a mat lowered through the roof and he was healed. I heard about Barnabas crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And God healed him. You see, my dad moved to Florida ahead of us in November of 
1972, in December of 1972, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And by the time we got there in March of 1973, my dad was really sick. And so I heard about these stories in the Bible, and, and I believed them to be true. I believe that God is a God who heals. And so I prayed. I prayed with a childlike faith. God, heal my dad. And on September 29th of 1973, my father died of lung cancer. On October 2nd, I stood beside his casket. And here were the words that were said to me. Big boys don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. Big boys don't cry. There was a side of me that wanted to cry because I was heartbroken. There was also a side of me that was really angry. Because God, either, either your book is a lie or you don't care. Now here's what I know. I know this, that I'm not the only person in this room that has faced those types of situations in life. Can I offer you this? On that sunset moment, just outside this little village of Nain, there was a woman who felt the same way. And, in the, in, 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 and into this somber scene, Jesus and his, and his folks that are having a great time, joy intersects with sorrow. Jesus sees her. His heart is torn. And he says to her, don't cry. Don't cry. Can you imagine what her response could have been? To some respect, what her response should have been. Really? Don't cry? Jesus, it would have been easy for you to don't, say don't cry before. But he's gone now. And here's what I want you to know. Here's the reason why I'm here tonight. I'm convinced what I'm about to tell you is the whole reason why God brought me to Rome this weekend. And that is this. In those moments when you think that God is too late, in those times when you think that God doesn't hear, in those situations when you wonder if his promises are true, that God has the ability to step between the funeral and the grave. And you've been looking for something and hoping for something and wanting for something and praying for something. And you've been hoping and wanting and praying for so long that you're convinced that your moment has passed. You're convinced that the opportunity for God to step in is gone. I want you to know. You're not the first person to experience that. In fact, that is the exact situation of the widow at Nain. And in those moments, it's easy for grief to meet fear. Because fear is the tool that the enemy uses to try to keep us bound. In those moments, when frustration sets in, and irritation sets in, and anxiety sets in, here's what we've got to do. Number one is this, is we have to look to truth. We have to look to truth. What is the truth? I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, she who believes in me, they who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. See, what God spoke in Jeremiah 49, 11 is true when he says, trust the fatherless to me, I will keep them alive. And that promise was true for the widow at Nain, and it's true for you. But the widows place their trust in me. I will care for them. Listen, if you know the truth, and make no mistake that God's word is true. If you know the truth, the truth will make you free. That Bible that you're looking at, that Bible has over 7,000 promises in it. And God keeps each and every one of them. You can trust in that. You can absolutely trust in that. Even though his timing doesn't match your timing. God knows the exact moment to step into the right space to work all things together for your good. He knows it. And he knows it and demonstrates it in this amazing love. Here's what the word of God tells us. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And he gives us this faith, right? He gives us this amazing faith. We, we actually talked about this at the men's retreat. That it tells us that in addition to everything else, that we are to take up the shield of faith, which will allow us to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Leave your father's, fatherless children, I will keep them alive. Your widows, too, can depend on me. Leave your fatherless children, I will keep them alive. Your widows, too, can depend on me. But what happens when it's too late? I'll tell you what happens when it's too late. Number one is this, God sees our pain. God sees our pain, and if you've come into God's house tonight and you've got a situation in your life, you've got a difficulty that you're dealing with, you've got a pain that you've been carrying, you've got a grief that, is, that almost overcomes you, God's face is not turned away from you. His eyes are not closed to you. That which breaks your heart breaks God's heart. And he sees your pain. Not, not only does he, does he see our pain, here's what God does. <clears throat> he steps into the moment. He steps into our position. See, <clears throat> when Jesus sees this woman, and he sees her eyes of grief, and he, he sees her downcast disposition and her, her stature that, that obviously is one of carrying heavy weight and heavy burden. He is, he is drawn to, he's compelled to go to her. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. 
It'd be a challenging story, a frustrating story, a difficult story if that's where it ends. But it doesn't end there. Because see, Jesus does understand Jeremiah 49, 11. Leave the father's children to me. I will keep them alive. And even though it seems like it's too late, here's what Jesus does. He goes up and he touches the buyer they're carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. Luke 7, 14 tells us this, that he says, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And what I, what I love about this story is the young man doesn't just get up and start to talk. It says that Jesus gave him back to his mother. The same God who stepped between the funeral and the grave for a grieving mom, for a widow who has no hope. That same God that was on the dusty outskirts of a village in Galilee is here in Rome tonight. That same God that restored hope, that brought life from death, that brought order from chaos, that same God is here tonight. And and here's one of the things I love about God. And here's the reason why the stories in the word of God are so important to us. I want you to grasp this. The stories in the Bible aren't just stories in the Bible. What they are, they are principles for us to live by. And here's the reason why they're principles for us to live by. Because God's word says this. I do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this story that happens... About A.D. 26, so just under 2,000 years ago, the same story that happened just under 2,000 years ago, God says this, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what's the dream that you have that has died? What's the promise of God that you have given up on? What's the hurt that you're convinced that God can't heal? Well, this is the place where amazing happens. And what God wants to do is this, is God wants to bring amazing into your day. You know, my story is is different from the widow at Nain. My my funeral procession saw it all the way to the grave. I, I watched them I watched them lower my father's casket into the tomb. And as I turned and walked away, there was an anger and a bitterness that set in that gripped me for years. And in fact, for me, when my father was laid in that tomb, there was a piece of me that died that day and was buried with him. Seven years of age. 
nine years later. As strange as it sounds. A collision between a bicycle, me on a bicycle, and a drunk driver. Broken leg, internal injuries. Brought me back to a place of a converse, and, and a conversation with the God who I felt had let me down. And God spoke to me. And in that moment, that piece of me that died and was buried in the ground with my father's body, it came to life. God has allowed me to share my story, my journey, and his strength in 46 different countries to literally tens of thousands, probably if I were to do full count, probably hundreds of thousands of people. Because all things work together for good. For those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Oh, and oh yeah, my father, Ford, my father was, wasn't a Christ follower by any stretch of the imagination. But four days before my father died, that Baptist pastor, who my brother was chasing his daughter, that Baptist pastor showed up at our house and he talked to my father about Jesus. And my father convinced that he was going to get better, not knowing that he had less than four days to live. said a simple prayer and confessed his need for Jesus and surrendered his life to God. So on September 29th, 1973, at 5.02 a.m., when my father slipped from time into eternity, all of heaven rejoiced to welcome him home. You see, all things work together for good. God said this, you can trust me with the fatherless. I will keep them alive. My mother met a man shortly after my father died. In fact, my father's funeral was October the 2nd. My mother's first date was October 31. By the middle of November, a new man was living in our house, and before Christmas, he had beat me for the first time. Hospitalized me four times, tried to kill me three times. When I was in eighth grade, they rushed me to the hospital. They discovered that I had 
was going into septic shock. When we were little kids, we swam in what we thought was a really cool swimming area. We discovered that we were swim- later that we were swimming in raw sewage, and it, it bacteria had gotten into my gotten in through my ear, and it was it was destroyed. It had destroyed pretty. Much, I'm deaf in my left ear. It destroyed pretty much all of my left ear, and it was perilously perilously close to my brain. They told my grandparents that I probably would not survive the surgery. If I did survive the surgery, that I would likely be paralyzed. Best case scenario, I would be paralyzed down the entire right side of my body. The beginning of my junior year in high school, I'm riding home from football practice. By the way, playing football because obviously I survived. I wasn't paralyzed. I wasn't paralyzed on my right side. Drunk driver comes out of nowhere. I'm riding my bicycle. I see him coming. I actually get off of the street. I jump the bicycle over the curb to get up on the sidewalk. The drunk driver in panic slams on his brakes, loses control of his vehicle, and it just starts spinning, coming right at me. I know there's no way that I'm going to be able to miss it. Understand this. I'm angry, bitter. I'm not even sure if God exists, but here's what I do. I say this. God, please let me land in grass. And when I regained consciousness, I was laying in grass. Unfortunately, I was laying right next to a no parking sign that I hit. (laughs) Had the no parking sign not been there, I would have slid across concrete. Broken leg, internal injuries. The police that came and investigated the scene, they said, young man, we don't understand how it is that you're still alive. Leave the fatherless children to me. I will keep them alive. See, John 10.10 says this. Jesus made this declaration. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to its full. There are moments that we see victory in the time when the thief tries to come and steal. Sometimes we don't see victory until... He gets to the point that he's trying to kill. Sometimes when it's even dead, God steps in before he's able to destroy. So God has brought you here tonight to say this to you. I want to step between your funeral and your grave. In the promise that you've been looking for. In the victory that you need. And the healing that you've been asking for. And if you're here and you think, Pastor, it's too late. Not only has the death already happened, the burial has already taken place. As we prepare to come to an altar, I want to remind you of a friend of Jesus by the name of Lazarus.
Thank you for listening. I pray that you heard from God today. And today I want to say a prayer with you. You need to make sure Christ lives in your life. So would you please say this prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. And I pray right now that you will come into my heart and into my life. And from this day forward, for the rest of my life, I will live for you. The things I was doing that were sin, I'm going to stop doing because you've just changed my life. And I thank you, Lord, for answering this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that if you've said that prayer today that you're going to have a life change. Things are going to be incredibly different for your life, and we'd love to help you. So if you would go to our website, icfrome.org, and make contact with us, I'd love to give you some information and get you connected to a church. Remember, God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. Bless you.